0: Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com,
1: an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back everybody to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am really excited to have a a stimulating conversation today. My guests are Jaya Ramesh and Priya Saral. Did I pronounce those correctly? Well enough. And they are doing something really, really important. They are writing a book called Parenting at the Intersections, Raising Neurodivergent Children of Color. When they reached out to me, I don't even know how long ago it was now, um, I was so excited to say, yes, let's have this conversation and let's keep having this conversation because in our community, it's so important. And there's so much conversation in the world about about equity and inclusion. And, and, you know, we have been big advocates for neurodiversity, equity and inclusion. So I love the work that you're about and the, the intersectionality of all of it. So important. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, I do encourage everybody, our listeners, to check out the show notes, read their bios, get an advance uh, notice of the book when the book comes out. I mm-hmm. believe that's what we'll be able to do. Uh, but we'll talk about that. Let's start by by introducing yourselves from your lens. Like, how did you come to be writing a book on intersectionality, neurodiversity, and children of color? <laughs> like, how'd this happen? <laughs>
0: Do you want to start for you? Or... Um, sure. Yeah. Um, I think um, a, a little um, sort of background before, uh, like in in my timeline, if if I could say. Um, I think one of the earliest sort of um, memories I have of the, the kind of work I really wanted to do was, um, you know, back at, uh, thinking about the diary entry from. My twelve-year-old self that said, "You know, I really want to work with kids when I grow up, and that's something I want to do." And um, somehow, my my life kind of took me on a different path initially, and uh, I found my way in a very circuitous manner to to becoming a social worker and then a child therapist, working with young children, and uh, I think quickly working with kids uh, with varied needs, many of them neurodivergent. I Understood and 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 you know really felt deeply that this work is incomplete without working um, with parents and and supporting parents in the in the in the most um, meaningful way to help them feel um, you know to build their confidence and their their skills and their you know regulation to be able to to care for their children well and and of course all parents want to love their children well and want to um, you know, what, what that supports so, um, so deeply. And I think, um, bec- being a parent at that moment myself and working with, uh, through many of the challenges I did, uh, with my neurodivergent kid and myself as a late neurodivergent, um, uh, well, I have always been neurodivergent, but late diagnosed, right? right? <laughs> I think that was really validating and also has kind of brought me to this, to this work, um, and i you know i i know jaya and i um we met uh, at in a context in a time where our first meeting jaya was really around parent support and we didn't even name it that way right i think um i just felt so much the safety um of of um you know that jaya brought and i was i remember crying about a, a really deep incident that was was so impactful um to my son and I and it was such a moment of relief and such an sort of I think important uh, juncture in our friendship and relationship and and I love that that kind of materialized to a moment where we could write a book about supporting other parents <laughs> in these so, interesting-
1: so this is something that on some level started for you as a child and then as an adult you came to 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 sort of bring a lot of pieces together to mm-hmm. to bring this uh Jaya what about you Hmm. Um,
2: I love that connection you're making, Priya. Um, but first of all, thank you so much for having us today. Um, it's really a pleasure. Excited to be here and to talk to you, um, Elaine. So my journey to this book in this moment, I think it- As a sort of classically ADHD person, um, I've had many iterations in my professional career. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I I started off working as an environmental campaigner for Greenpeace and then um, moved into teaching um, at a community college and then found my way into mental health counseling. Um, And around that same time, my oldest kiddo, got diagnosed as neurodivergent, both with ADHD, as well as, um, giftedness, um, which I know sometimes people don't see as neurodivergence, but it is, um, for sure. And often coexisting, coexisting, right. The twice exceptional. Yeah. So I think that started my, the, that, that personal, you know, started my journey into this, this area Mm -hmm. and, I remember at that time um, just really looking for resources to support our family and noticing that, you know, there was something missing in those books for me. And at that time in my own development, I didn't have the language to name what was missing. Yeah. I felt sort of this resistance in me about like this advice or these tactics don't really sit well for me, but I couldn't understand why. Right, Mm -hmm. And I think I've come to understand that why it didn't fit was that there was a, a presumed uniformity in experience,
1: sure. um,
2: and it didn't really capture the the experience of being a family of color, having an immigrant background, you know, just all the different layers that when we picked up these resources, they were like, this doesn't quite fit, right? Um, yeah. And then in my own private practice, just the work I, you know, there's this thing in mental health where the, the clients who draw the people who come to you, there's something about like, they find you, but you also are, they, you also need them in a way, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like a co-healing that's happening. And so a lot of the folks that were coming were couples and, you know, poor parents of kids with neurodivergent kids and how that was impacting their marriage. Yeah, Um, and also a lot of neurodivergent adults and so when this opportunity presented to to write this book um it just felt like a really sort of natural um conclusion of all of this process and learning and growth um to put
1: this out in the world so so what what strikes me about both of what what i'm hearing from each of you in different ways and it's so it's a it's almost like a parallel to the experience diane and i had when we started impact was this recognition that there's this need this this need this gaping void of service Mm -hmm. and um and that what's available is close but not quite there and it's not really filling this this void and for us it was anything around parenting, because in those days that wasn't there. And, and then this, this coaching framework versus the therapeutic model. And for you, it's about, you know, does this speak to my culture? Does this speak to my community, to me and my community? Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, the more work that's done in this space, the more we see the needs and we begin to fill more and more and more of these cracks and crevices. Mm-hmm. Of of gaps and services and support for families. Um, the other thing that I'm hearing both of you speaking to is the adult experience, right? right. Whether it's as an adult with neurodivergence ourselves, or as a, a parent or couple dealing with neurodivergent kids, that you know no, nothing prepared us for this. That's right, as adults. And and I think that you two speak to that very clearly. Um, And so you've both alluded to the fact that somebody came to you and said, let's write this book. Right. So Mm -hmm. can you speak to that a little bit before we move into what a parents need to know, but start with that. Yeah. Jay, you go first. You want me to
2: go? Sure. Um, So uh, a good um, friend of ours who used to be in the publishing industry connected us with an agent who had an autistic, who has an autistic child and, um, you know, it's a child of color, and said, "You know what? I am seeing all these parenting books out there. There's just really this gap, and mm-hmm. um, we need someone to write it." And we got connected to him, and you know, we I think both went through our sort of imposter syndrome phase, and maybe sometimes we're still in it. I don't know, have... <laughs> <laughs> Briah. Like,
1: Probably most, like, most of okay, us are.
2: <laughs> most of us are right. Yeah, like, hey, are we are the ones. Like, should we write it? Like, what do we have to say? And, um, but that sort of kicked off that process, and. um, you know, I think from the very beginning we were very um, clear about wanting to write this book in a very
1: particular way and decenter ourselves as experts. So what do you mean, Priya, will you pick that up? Write it in a certain way. What is that, what does that mean?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think as um, parents of color, as um in raising children who are near divergent and of color. We have experienced um, and seen just there's so much out there that's telling parents what to do and how to do it. right. And um in a context, as we contextualize this intersection um, under systems of oppression, um that sort of our uh, parents are saddled with, you know that and 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 that, you know, these messages come through different portals, different sites, right? the school system, the the criminal justice system. Um, you know other other parents with internalized um you know oppression too that 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 gets you know parents get judged for the different ways in which they choose to parent um and yes there are some real constraints um here that that parents have to contend with and work with um but it's also i think um really was really important to us as a way to disrupt these yeah. um as a way to connect deeply within to sort of affirm uh, to parents out there that deep within you you have the wisdom you have the solutions and it is really something that we wanted to you know come we, we wanted to come in with um with also the perspective that when um we focus only just on a single story and a single experience that gets spoken for all. And I think we really want to, um, as a way to disrupt us too, to offer multiple ways of parenting and multiple stories from different angles and different, you know, identities to, to present to our parents that there are so many different ways to choose to parent well. And it's so easy to be, to, to succumb to that, Here's what to do. Here's three steps, and then your your child yes. will be golden. Right. And that Beautiful.
1: is, what I really wanted to um, walk away from. So, um, we Beautiful. have, yeah, approached it this way. So, so let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and sort of dive deeper into to some of the content that we're talking about. Hi, it's Elaine. And if you like this podcast, you'll love our coach approach. Whether you're a parent looking for support or professional supporting families, we invite you to download a free guide with 12 key coaching tools at impactparents.com slash gift. You can begin using a coach approach to help kids become more independent or improve all of your conversations at work and at home. That's impactparents.com slash gift. So welcome back everybody. My guests are Jaya and Priya who are writing a book on parenting at the intersections, raising neurodivergent children of color. And, and what you were just speaking to was, was the what I would call an invitation to parents, was really creating a book that's an invitation for parents to trust mm-hmm. their, their knowledge, their instincts, uh, to lean into their own cultures and find find the path forward rather than Looking to the experts to say what are three things or five things or ten tips or you know, um, but to really uh, step out of that those realms of judgment. One of one of the things I've experienced, and um, you know, the work we've done at Impact, we we've really because it's a coaching framework and coaching is very an empowerment based modality. Um, it's all about inviting people to trust their instincts. So I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. synchronicity in, in what you're talking about. And and what we've seen is that um, there's something in particular in cultures of color, immigrant cultures, small town culture, like there are all these different communities where kind of every culture or community seems to think they might be a little bit more conservative. They might be a little bit more um, like there's this, we all on some level see ourselves as different from the other. Mm-hmm. And so we need to find our our individual path within it, and then there's also this uniformity of experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious um as you as we look at this question of what do you what do you want parents listening to this to understand most yeah. i want to I want to lay that framework on it because there's this way in which we have a commonality experience, all of us as parents of kids with neurodivergence. And then we each have our own cultures, whether it's it's people of color or other individual mm-hmm. cultures. So I, what comes up?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's an important question because so I, I think just adding on also to just what Priya was sharing, right? It's, I think the big thing that we really want parents to understand is that parenting is not happening in a vacuum, right? Mm. That we are shaped um by these larger dominating systems of oppression that we live under. Yeah. And that while parenting our um, multiply marginalized children, we're also kind of working within and against these systems, right? And so part of the offering of this book is for, when we talk about things like white supremacy, capitalism, settler colonialism, they feel really big and amorphous. And they're like, what, what does that mean? Right. And I think the gift in this book is we really make it very concrete of the ways that it can show up in our lives, show up in our parenting. Right. So that when we start to notice urgency, when we start to notice perfectionism or doubt, parents can start to make that connection of like, wait, this is something systemic. It's intergenerational. It's, you know, um, it's not mine. There isn't something wrong with me. But I'm sort of carrying this sort of mandate of these systems and really thinking about parenting then as a localized site where we as parents are enlisted to produce this ideal citizen, right? <laughs> who can go out and work and contribute to capitalism. Yes. But then we have these children who kind of, you know, are not fitting the mold of quote-unquote norm and that the norm is actually determined and filtered through the prism of these systems of oppression there's these feelings that come up for parents of like grief and loneliness and like
1: you know isolation
2: isolation right, right? Yeah. all of those things and so so first is that piece of like let's really understand that this is happening in a context then let's put our feelings about how we're raising our kids and connected to that context right and that there's a, a real offering that when we can hear other people's stories, mm-hmm. right? When we can feel seen and validated and reflected, there is something that like releases in our bodies, right? I mean, just that sense yeah. of I don't have to hold this all alone.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, so See, that's, that's interesting because because mm-hmm. I would say that in my community, if if there is one uniform voice amongst all others it's that voice of for the first time i don't feel alone yeah for the first time i feel seen i feel understood and that's as a parent of children with neurodiversity Mm -hmm. or neurodivergence regardless of of what their cultural framework is there's that and then i can imagine when you add other layers right Mm -hmm. it just it compounds that that challenge and the need to feel seen
2: Right. And that that systems of supremacy actually impact all of us. Mm-hmm. But the impact is different based on where, where are you we're socially located, based on our identities.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And Priya, it's giving
1: voice to that. Mm-hmm. Priya, what do you want to add? That's coming up for you.
0: I think the piece about um sort of working within there there are these universal themes, and also I think individually and culturally. Uh, We spoke to so many parents that added their own sort of, you know, brought to light the messages and and that they had absorbed from their own families growing up. And that was very, um, there are flavors and there's differences in in that, right? Like how difference is constructed and seen within cultures, within cultures of color and how perhaps over time that, um, you know, that I'm losing my words, but the acceptance or the, the, not just acceptance that feels weak,
1: but. Embracing
0: able to perhaps celebrate and embrace difference yeah. that um, because of colonization or because of immigration and a lot of these factors, that difference suddenly has a, a really multiplied um, and, and heavy, you know, cost and meaning to it. And so there, what does it mean to stand out and call myself a proud near neurodivergent family when we have just, you know, em- immigrated and and we aren't seen as, you know, as part of, as part of the community yet in a new context, right? Yeah. And so those fears are real and those messages that we, um, we, 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 you know, when we think about messages, some of them were definitely, there, there was a lot of stigma that people, parents mm-hmm. brought up, right? There's a lot of stigma to, to being, um, you know, to being able to, to seek support, um, to, to,
1: um, yeah. Fear of yeah, I was um, gonna say and fear, a lot of fear.
0: Fear of what what will the authorities do if they see me as an incompetent parent, right? Um yes. and all of these are real fears and um and it's it's not yeah, like Jaya said, I think it's really important that this context be named. And um, we had a parent who beautifully said, you know, when we name the enemy, um we can feel more powerful and and yeah. and so feels like we, we have some direction when we know where we are. And,
1: and so that is really, important. you know, I, am really struck by what you just said, because I think, I think most parents of neurodivergence, neurodivergent kids worry about what, what will they say of me as a parent? Mm-hmm. But, but a lot of us, those of us, you know, who are either appearing white, white facing skin, whatever, depending on the culture, don't have to worry about what the authorities think. That's right. That word is really key, and and you know we see underrepresentation in in underserved communities, and we like I can I as I hear you you use that word, the cascading impact of that shows up loud and clear for me mm-hmm. because um, because it's it's hard enough to deal with it in our own families and our own communities, but then when you deal with it in that larger political construct. Um, yeah. I mean,
2: we've had parents talk about it, like interacting with schools. Right. Yeah. And where that real, you know, uh, school to prison pipeline starts. Right. Right. You know, black moms talking about being read as the angry black mother. Right. That's right. When you're advocating for your child, yeah. the the black father who told us about, right, like his um, daughter is getting mistreated and he's being told to calm down because he's being read as a a dangerous black man Mm -hmm. right and they have security outside the room as they're having a conversation right so these are the ways that sort of seeps up and makes it
1: harder and the conversations the parents need to have with their kids Mm -hmm. in in these contexts is also you know when you've got a kid with impulsivity that has a whole different meaning um for a 15 year old black boy than, than it does for a you know, a 15-year-old, you know, blonde, curly-haired girl, it's mm-hmm. going to have a different impact. Um, we do need to start wrapping up the conversation. I want to ask one more question before we do, and and that's, can you speak a little bit, because I'm guessing you talk about it in, in, in your work together, to the notion of sort of where that notion of model minority and how that plays into this, this larger con- conversation?
2: Yeah. The model minority concept was, you know, really—it's used as a, a political and a social wedge to create uh, to to um, engender more anti-blackness, right? Um, the idea being, well, let's look at these this group of people who, you know, came here and look at them working hard and looking that look at them being successful. And, you know, sort of pointing to the black community and saying, why can't
1: you be like that? So it creates a wedge, right? That's what supremacy does. It splits us all up. That's right. Um, The term, I I just want to be clear, was introduced to me by an Asian friend mm -hmm. initially.
2: And then the other piece of model minority, I think that's really harmful for our communities is it strips us of our humanity, right? In that sense of you are expected to be on point, be successful, not have any mental health challenges, you know, do all the things, be the doctor, be the lawyer, right? Um, there's no room for error.
1: Yeah. And Better, so, stronger, faster. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's like, you're always striving and mm-hmm. you're striving by putting
1: others down. Which adds to this compound of perfectionism exactly. that is particularly unhealthy with when you have neurodivergence. Under I, I just
2: want to add one thing, if I can go back to the other piece yeah. of work.
1: The, you know, we want
2: parents to know is that I think the other thing is that because there's so much standardization around education and our medical system and all of that, what we consider the norm, right? What we consider like expected of children, we're relying on standards that don't actually fit. And so Mm. parents have to inhabit a role of being a map maker. And that's sort of how we talk about it. Like we are actually charting a course here. And that yes. some, that the models were given don't fit, right? And I think that's also really important to name that there is something
1: here to to charting a course. Yeah, indeed. So I I like the metaphor a lot because we the, that notion of the GPS system, right? Sometimes sometimes it it goes on the fritz, and we have to actually find our way <laughs> without mm-hmm. without that map, somebody else's map, right? And so our community is so useful to. Yeah. Yeah. Priya, Priya, what do you want to add?
0: Um, I think the the model minority piece also is another layer to um masking for neurodivergent kids, right? And 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 parents as well. Um I think the whole um, you know, what we want from this book is for parents to read this and and have you know, permission for themselves to to navigate uh, the where spaces where they don't feel like they can be fully authentically themselves, and partly because neurodivergence divergence is not accepted, but also because um, you have to uphold this model minority piece for for those cultures of color that that kind of um, you, which is uh, you know it's not all cultures of color that 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 fit that model minority standard um, in society, but. But I think um, that is an additional factor that allow that that prevents um you know uh, parents and and children to be able to fully authentically be themselves in in um but we also make it clear that this is you know this is the reality of our situation and our context and it's we're not advocating for uh, masks to be dropped and uh, you know I think there's a reason why these masks and and there's a meaning and and there's something that 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 these masks um serve right and and I think um safety is is a really important reason and um we we trust that parents can can uh, and and children um can you know figure out uh and parents can support kids to figure out where they feel safe to be themselves so so that mm-hmm. those masks can be dropped um which is another piece why it's so important for parents to to reflect on the the model minority piece to to be able to create that safety within the home for for children to be themselves as yeah
1: well. and and that's you know there's layers it's it's safety within the home and you know the other thing I'm I'm thinking about as I'm hearing both of you speak is that sometimes in our community it's safety within our own home and we do a lot of work around shifting expectations not lowering them but shifting them like we have to understand the context of what's happening Um, And sometimes our families are looking for safety within their community or within their culture or within their, you know, I was just reading a book somebody asked me to read um, that was about, uh, you know, a kid with, with gender differences um, coming out in a really observant Mm -hmm. uh, religious community and becoming dissociated from the community in order to support the child. Yeah. So there's, there are layers and layers and layers. We're dealing with it. First, we as parents have to come to terms ourselves Mm -hmm. either with ourselves or our kids or both, and then with our family and then with our community. And then, you know, there's just, it just keeps coming. So um, I really appreciate the invitation to explore the conversations with ourselves, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is really what I'm hearing both of you saying is that this is inviting parents to, to have that those difficult conversations with ourselves first right? Uh, about all the different layers.
2: Right. Yeah. And that's what, you know, in the book, we really provide a lot of um, prompts mm. questions to go do that self-inquiry to do somatic practices. So we could, so much mm-hmm. of this is just stored in our bodies, right? Our responses and our reactions. Yeah. Um, and really coming, you know, that Priya and I were very, um, aware of the fact that we have a certain positionality even as women of color with privilege and um, access to resources that we're just here in this book as um, holding a container, Mm -hmm. right? For the multitude of stories, the multitude of experiences to, to emerge um, and that we're not actually the ones giving voice to these, these experiences. So we want to be very careful about that as well.
1: Yeah, which is, I love, I love that language again. That's so why this, our our framework is as a coach approach feels so in sync with what you're doing is because it's all about our journey is to be with them on their journey and to support people in exploring their journey. So I love that. Um, tell people how they can find out more about about you each or together or what do you want to share? Yeah. That, all the links will be in the show notes, whatever they're about to say, but <laughs> where do you want to direct people to? We have a
0: joint book, um, a website for the book. Um, it's www.parentingattheintersections.com. And um, we have an Instagram uh, page as well. And that's at Parenting at the Intersections with dots between every
1: word. We'll have it all in the show notes. So you can just go there. And, the
0: and... book is available yeah. for pre-order
2: right now.
1: That's what I was trying to say earlier. Thank you. Yeah, so yeah, I, I don't gonna... know exactly when this show will release but um, I'm pretty sure it's coming out before the book is coming out. When's the book actually going to be released?
2: January 16th. Yes, we'll have it out before then. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Um, so, and we'll have a link in the show notes for everybody to be able to, to pre-order the book. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for that. Yeah. So before we wrap, is there anything we we you want to, any point you made that you want to hit home on or anything we haven't had a chance to discuss that you want to make sure we bring into this conversation?
2: Hmm. I think for me, I just want to really, you know, say just, you know, a lot of love and um, for parents out there who are doing this and that they reminding them they are enough yeah. and also encouraging people who aren't parents or who don't have children of neurodivergent, you know, children of color to, to read and to get curious about this experience, because I think we're all connected, right? We need to know our neighbor's stories and that's, our children are, uh, you know, they're, they're like a, there's a, there's a medicine that they're offering us. If we're just willing to listen.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. Priya, what about you? That was lovely. There's a medicine they're offering us. If they're just, if we're just willing to listen, that's beautiful. Jaya. Priya. Yeah. I think
0: uh, maybe just coming back to what Jaya shared. Um, this book is mainly for parents at the intersections, but I think there's so much here, so much wisdom, um, that uh, I think these stories offer um, to anybody working, living, and um, uh, caring for children uh, at at these intersections, and um, and I think as as a professional, as a mental therapist, I think it was really humbling to to hear stories of um, um, professionals working with uh, with uh, families who have invalidated um, their experiences mm-hmm. and. Um, I know that all of us professionals, we come to this work with such goodness and, and such good intent um, to do well and to do um, you know no harm. But um, the fact is we are also impacted by these systems of oppression and they do work through us and it's so important um, to really listen to the voices um, uh, that we're serving and um, really be able to to use uh, any of the wisdom that we offer in, through the book and parents offer through this book. To take that in and to to really um, um, reflect on on um, on your own sort of practice, and I think that was a really big takeaway for me as well as a
1: professional. So, um, I
0: like
1: that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and what jumps at me from what you're saying is that as as important it is, and we talk to parents all the time about, you know, seeking out providers who are well informed about mental health or attention issues, executive function, ADHD, because not not everyone is, is is well educated in that arena. Similarly, it's really important to seek out providers who understand and have done their own work around this issue of intersectionality and, and, and Say it again.
0: Ongoing work.
1: It, it is ongoing yes. work. <laughs> They're a work in progress. We're a work in progress. You know, mm-hmm. we always come back in these conversations, don't we, to how important it is for we as parents to be doing our own deep work. Yeah. Parenting calls us forward more than anything else to do our own deep work. And so thank you for
0: mm-hmm. creating
1: a, a, a vessel, an invitation, a, a platform for us to do that. I think it's really important. I'm super excited to be able to support you in this. Thank you. Thank you for having us. (laughs) One more quick thing before we wrap. Do you have a favorite quote or motto that each of you would like to share with our listeners? Sure. I think something that
0: um, uh, struck me and we were talking about the expectations earlier, um, Elaine, I think I've been really sitting with. um, It's not it's not a chalked out motto, but just sort of a mantra, perhaps, that you know, it's important to have reasonable expectations and, and low, maybe perhaps lower your expectations if that's what it needs to, um, That that's what needs to happen. But that doesn't mean that you stop believing in your child. I think those are two separate concepts. and Sometimes it can get really confusing. So I just want to say, let's all believe in our children and listen,
1: listen to them and their
0: needs. Yeah.
1: I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seeing what's possible. I used to say to my kids, you're going to be an amazing adult. We just got to get you there.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, I like yeah. that. Yeah. I like that.
1: Jay, mm-hmm. what about
2: you? In terms of a quote, I was actually, I, I think I feel very called to this. It's its in my email signature. Okay. Um, I'm just sort of not only with our children, but just globally what's happening in the world. Um, yeah. The quote is no such, so, there's no such thing as the voiceless. There are the deliberately silenced or the preferably unheard. And that's by Arundhati Roy. We say it again. It's beautiful. There is no such thing as the voiceless. They're only the deliberately silenced or the preferably unheard. Yeah, by Arundhati Roy. And something that I think a client taught me and I'm trying to live into this more is give the roses to the people in your life when they're still alive. Mm. beautiful I mean, wow. that really is something that
1: has been very meaningful for me to to um to do <laughs> i love that it's beautiful mm-hmm. thank you i'm i'm actually at this moment i'm dealing with a loss in my family so i really appreciate that greatly mm-hmm. and we'll take that to my family tonight so thank you that's sorry to there. hear that elaine yeah thank you it's good it's okay mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Jay and priya, thank you for for being here, sharing your wisdom, sharing the wisdom of all the parents you've you've spoken with and interviewed, and whose stories you've collected and are sharing. Mm-hmm. And thank you for for the work you're doing. it's It's really important work, and it's it's timely, and you're really giving a voice. To those who may be deliberately silenced or mm-hmm. preferably unheard, and I really respect and admire and appreciate that. Um, to those of you listening to our to our listeners, take a moment and tune in for yourself. What, what's an insight that you're taking away from the conversation that you've just listened to to us have with each other? What's What's your awareness? What's your insight? What's your aha? What do you want to take from this conversation and how do you want to bring it forward with you into your week this week? We've had a fascinating conversation. What do you want to do with that and and bring it and how do you want to bring it into your life? And as always, those of you listening, whether you're parents, professionals, or some combination of the two, thank you for what you're doing for yourselves and for these amazing complex children in the world. Your presence, your engagement, your thoughtfulness makes a huge difference. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school.